You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here today. If you have your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 17. As you're turning there, reminding you that we are in day 22 of our giving challenge. And so appreciative of those who have taken this challenge on and you are knocking it out of the park. God is changing our church as a result. And I am excited to see how God blesses you. Uh, we are also um, just kind of in a season now where we've been talking about a building and, and, and plans to grow and to do that. And uh, this past Monday night, I got about 35 different people from all walks of our church together uh, as a focus group. And we uh, talked about a lot of different things as it relates to the budget, our building, um, the highs, the wow, hows of all that kind of stuff. And had a, just a very encouraging time. Everybody was excited to pursue the building and to do this. A lot of, a lot of people committed to give some money and, and uh, didn't ask them to do that, but it was just the Lord kind of working in a lot of people's lives. And so um, our elder team is going to get together over the next week and uh, we're going to uh, have an official vote uh, as a group uh, whether or not to pursue this and, and uh, to actually uh, see if the, the spring is, is when we're going to actually break ground and, uh, and do this deal. So please pray for us. Um, continue just to, to, to seek the Lord's will in that. We're excited to, to, to just see the overall approval and response of, of so many of you guys uh, as it relates to the building. But I believe God is doing some great things as a result. And uh, today, uh, we continue the Gospel of John. If you're new, we go through, we have been going through the Gospel of John for some time, and we're in chapter 17 today. And uh, remember that he is in the upper room. He's praying with his disciples. Uh, he's instituted the Lord's Supper, and um, he's about to uh, leave and go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's going to be arrested, and then uh, he's going to be on trial early in the morning on Friday, and then he, he will be dead by noon on Friday. And so this is Thursday evening, and uh, Judas has already left to go betray him. And, and uh, he begins this passionate prayer. And it's just a beautiful prayer. We saw last week he started by praying for God's glory. And then he began to pray for our protection, that our salvation would be protected, that our victory would be protected. And, and then we're going to see today that he actually prays for you and I. Uh, last week we saw he prayed for his disciples specifically as he's about to be arrested. But the beautiful thing about today is that Jesus, over 2,000 years ago, as he's about to be arrested and crucified, he is praying for and thinking about you and I, and in one area in particular. And so it's always important when you're reading scripture, if you see the same word over and over again uh, through the course of a passage, uh, underline it, highlight it, circle it, and think about it. Why is he continuing to speak to that uh, certain topic or whatever it is. And uh, we're going to see that today in our scripture. The issue is unity. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's begin in verse 13 of chapter 17, where it says this, but now I am coming to you. This is Jesus talking in prayer to his heavenly father. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus is here saying in verse 13 that he's doing all this so that his joy might be in us. And so our happiness, our joy is accomplished by Jesus going to the cross, dying for sin, resurrecting from the grave, overcoming sin and death, and then ascending to heaven with the Father and sending the Holy Spirit. 
So all that is in mind when he says, I want them to experience my joy. You and I experience joy, true happiness, when we are living our life in accordance with that plan, when we are giving glory to God in that way. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So the world hates you because Jesus gave us his word. The world doesn't hate you necessarily. The world hates you because you carry the word of God with you. You believe in the word of God. And so that's why the world is antagonistic towards us. So don't take it personal, right? It's because we bear the word of God. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, the word sent is used there a couple of times. That's important because Jesus is saying that they are in the world. And I'm not praying to take them out of the world. I mean, we would like to, for, for Jesus to say, and God, please, uh, like, allow them to be sent to a really excluded paradise in, you know, tropical island where they can all live in utopia and harmony and, and wouldn't have to put up with the craziness of this world and the sin and the evil in the world. But that's what we would like. But, but he says, no, I'm going to leave them in the world to deal with pain, to deal with suffering, to deal with sinful people, because I am sending them for a reason. And the reason is his mission. He continues when he says in verse 17, to sanctify them in the truth. So Last week we looked at what Jesus is praying for. And today, same thing. What is he praying for? Where the first thing we see that he's praying for here is that we would grow spiritually. Because Jesus here is saying, sanctify them. Now that word sanctify is not a word that we're going to typically use throughout the week, right? You're not hanging out with your your buddies at work and, and, hey, man, I was sanctified this week. I don't know about you, but we're not doing that. We don't use that word. We don't really know what it means often. But very simply, to be sanctified means that you are set apart for a holy work of God. So to be sanctified means that we're set apart. We are set apart for a purpose, the mission that God has given to us. And so he says, I want them to be sanctified. I want them to, to be set apart and to be holy. And the way in which that we are set apart here is very clearly, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So you and I are sanctified. We're made holy. We're set apart for God's work, for God's mission by his truth. That's why God's word is so important. That's why understanding the deep truths of doctrine are so valuable and so important. This is why studying God's word on your own is so important. This is why I tell you every week to read the chapter before the sermon on Sunday. Get a commentary, read it throughout the week. So this would be chapter 18 this week. Take notes, dive into it, see what the truth of scripture is. And then when you come on Sunday morning and you hear me teach it, it's just like the Holy Spirit is just body slamming you into the truth of God. Everything you've studied is now coming more and more to life. And you're diving deeper and deeper into God's word because we know this to be the case. We grow spiritually by understanding God's truth. So we have to understand the truth of God And God uses that understanding to renew our minds, to transform our minds. You see, the problem with so many of our our relationships and and the way in which we live in our life is, is we think the wrong way. And when you think incorrectly, your actions follow. And and, and when I'm thinking incorrectly, then I'm living incorrectly because my actions follow that. And so 
So I've got to renew my mind. I've got to transform my mind. How do I do that? I am sanctified by God's truth. I am set apart for God's mission by his truth. So I dive into God's word. I apply it to my life. I understand it. And, and, and when I do that, the Holy Spirit just, just massages that truth into our heart and into our life. And we begin to live it. And we begin to become transformed. So we praise that we would grow spiritually. Secondly here, we're going to see that Jesus prayed for our unity. Look at verse 20 and following. He's praying for our unity. He says, I do not ask for these only. In other words, I'm not just praying for these 11 disciples that are in this room only, but I'm also praying for those who will believe in me through their word, aka you and me. So you and I have been prayed for by Jesus the day he was about to be arrested and crucified. How awesome is that? Verse 21, and here's why he's praying that they may all be, what's that word? Say it together. One. That we may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be what? One. Even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved me and loved them even as you loved me. You see, very clearly, Jesus is concerned about our unity. He wants us to be one. Now, for us, unity is, is not hard because we want unity. We crave unity. Even in our DNA, we crave unity. I was watching a TED Talk a couple weeks ago, and the, and the speaker was talking about our brain is wired. He wasn't a Christian. Our brain is wired for unity. And it's like God, you know, he created us with this desire to be united and and he created us with this desire to be one. The problem though is that that we unite to the wrong things. You know, who who have you united your life to? Because in so many cases we we unite to the wrong relationship, a relationship that is negative and critical and holds us back from doing what God wants us to do. Sometimes we unite with people who have a common sin in, in, in their life, and so that kind of unites us. We rally around this sin, and, and we do it together, and we hang out together, and we, have, you know, we think we're enjoying this sin together, but that kind of unifies us because we have experienced and enjoy that. And so, so the problem is not that we can't find unity. The problem is who and what are we finding unity And I think Jesus is very clear here that he is calling us to experience the unity that he has with this heavenly father. And he calls us into that unified like relationship. He wants us to be unified with Christ and his mission. He wants us to be unified with Christ and his church. Very specifically, you know, in the body of Christ, we are Foothills Church today. And he is praying that we would be unified. Why? Why is unity so valuable? Why is it so important? Verse 23 explains it perfectly. He calls us to unity so that the world may know that God sent him and that God loves them. Very clearly, this unity has everything to do with the mission of God. You see, without unity, mission cannot be accomplished. Without a unified group of believers doing what God has called us to do, being sanctified 
If we have not been, been allowed the Holy Spirit by his truth to sanctify us, to set us apart, to make us holy for the work that God has given each of us specifically to do, mission will not exist. And that's why I think this is so important for Jesus. The night of his arrest, he's about to die and he's like, God, unify them. They've, they've got to be unified. If they're not unified, then the mission won't happen. They've got to demonstrate this unity that you and I have, Father. And if they're not unified like we are, the mission will not be advanced. You see, I'm going to give you a lot of notes today. If you're a note taker, you're going to be busy um, in just a minute. But if you're not, I encourage you to just grab this one concept at least today. If nothing else, grab this comment. The world will be one when the church is one. The world will be one, W-O-N. We're going to win the world to Jesus when the church is one. You see, we're, we're never going to see our community receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're never going to see revival take place. We're never going to see this awakening, spiritual awakening take place in this community if we are arguing and fussing and fighting over dumb things in the church. And so this is why at the heart of this prayer, he concludes by calling us to unity. When you find a church where the people are one and they really love each other, and they're unified together, you're gonna have to lock the doors because there are so many people in the community they are gonna wanna pour into that place. Because just like you and I, the community, the world longs for unity. There's an unforeseen, I think, factor in the growth of our church that a lot of people just ignore. I get asked all the time, you know, how has this church grown like it has over the last six years and what do you attribute that to? And there are many reasons. But one of the things that a lot of people overlook is the fact that we have a unified staff, a unified group of elders who are passionately pursuing the vision of making disciples. And, and bar none, to me, that unification that we experience as a staff is, is, is manifested in the fruit of the growth of this church. And so that's something we don't take for granted. But unity is necessary if we're going to grow. Unity is necessary if we're going to see people come to know Christ. And so look, I know there's three groups of people in the room. There, there's a first group, you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, and you came here because you were invited. And so you're just kind of checking out the church thing. And so this unity thing, I think will be beneficial for you as you, as you think through what the church should look like. There's a group of people here that are, are, are believers, but you're not committed to this church. You're not a partner. And so you're trying to figure this out. I think today is important for you to understand the value of why you should partner with the local church. But really, today's message is for the third group. And the third group are people that have committed to partner at Fiddles Church. And so, so this is your home. This is your family. This is your church. You've committed to be here. This specifically speaks to us as we fight for unity. Now, unity is important at work. Unity is important at home. Some of you are going to hear a lot of these principles today, and they specifically apply to your workplace because, I mean, the things that destroy a church are going to destroy your work environment as well. The things that are going to divide and destroy your family are the same things that are going to divide and destroy a church in many ways. And so when you think about parenting especially, we're always fighting for unity. As a parent of four children who constantly are bickering and fighting, we're trying to help them learn how to work together, right? How to solve their problems on their own and not need us all the time. And, and uh, you know, we always get the, he hit me first and she hit me first. And, and so there's the blame game and he made me angry and that's why I did this. And so in our house, it's like, well, just because somebody makes you angry doesn't mean that you can smack them. You know, that's kind of, that's very basic. I get it, but that's what we're trying to teach. And 
And, and, and the truth is, we're all trying to help our kids unite. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this image before, but I think these parents are on to something. Guys, show that first image. This is a mom and dad that get it, right? So here's the get along shirt. And I've been tempted to do this. My kids are a little too old for this. I saw it too late. But perhaps that would work. And, and if this doesn't work, I think maybe this mom and dad were on to something as well. You just like duct tape to the wall, problem solved, right? I don't know if that's legal anymore. Back in my day, it was. But but what a lot of wives don't realize is that, you know, you can do this with your husband as well. So you could probably do this and <clears throat> that's done. And, but seriously, you can't, you can't do that. But we're all searching for that unity in our, in our relationships. And, and we, we can't force this. This is something we fight for as a church and as a family. And as we think in terms of unity, a lot of people think that to be unified means that there's no conflict. So when there's no conflict, that means we're unified. That is very far from the truth. You could be a totally, you know, uh, divided family and not hear anybody fighting, you know, because there's no communication, nobody's fighting, nobody's yelling or anything like that, but they just don't speak to each other, they don't work together, they're not on the same page. You see, the absence of conflict is not unity. And so when you're united as a church, you're going to have differences I mean, think about all the differences that are in this room. Some of you are committed to the church. Some of you aren't. Some of you are from the north. Some of you are from the south. You know, some of you like Alabama football and, and the rest of us can't stand them. Some of us, you know, come from wealthy families. Some of us very poor families. So, so many differences. You're good at one thing. This guy's good at another thing. And, and so there's so many differences in here. But the one unifying principle is that we believe in Jesus Christ. That God sent his son to die on the cross for our sin and that when we receive his forgiveness and his grace, we can have eternity in heaven, but oh so much more, life to the fullest. That is the unity that we surround ourselves. That is the common core principle of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we rally around that. And as we do that, we see the mission advanced. And that doesn't mean you know, we're always going to see eye to eye. But it does mean that we can stand shoulder to shoulder and fight against the enemy to allow the gospel to transform the city and world. So let me give you four reasons why unity is important. Number one, unity is important because the church is a family. The church is a family. This means that if you destroy unity, you are destroying God's church. If you are divisive, you are destroying God's family. The Bible says it like this in Acts 2.42, kind of explaining what the early church was experiencing. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It goes on and on, but, but here specifically, I want you to see that word fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. They were de devoted to this family experience of like, this is our family. We are in relationship together. We are committed to each other, you know? And so in the church today, it's so easy. As soon as somebody is offended or, you know, their, 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 their feathers are ruffled on whatever issue to just divorce their church. I mean, this is true of marriage as well. Like we have differences that cannot be reconciled. So let's just get a divorce. And when we look at the church world, especially in the South, there's hundreds of churches around here. So, you know, we don't like something, something happened. And so instead of dealing with it, we just leave. We just run away. And we just act like it never happened and we never deal with it. Folks, that's not how family treats one another. See, the problem is 
So many people grow up in dysfunctional homes, they never saw and they never experienced how family members should treat each other. And so when we have that experience and that example before us, we continue that same pattern of, of behavior with our coworkers and our friends and people at church. We just, instead of working on issues, we deal with it by ignoring them. And I'm just not going to talk to them. And I'm going to pretend like they're not sitting beside me. And, and we'll just avoid the situation. Or we'll gossip about them. Or we'll slander them behind their back. Or we'll, you know, that's typically a sinful way of dealing with conflict. But family doesn't do that. Families love each other. Families work and fight for unity. And so we deal with our issues and our problems in a healthy, mature way. That means we forgive each other. That means that we restore relationships. Now, this is one of the purposes of marriage. Don't ever lose sight of this purpose in marriage. There are a handful of purposes for your marriage. This is one of them. God put that man or that woman in your life to show you that you aren't perfect. And he put that woman in your life, guys, so that he could, or that she could show you how you are failing. Now, we don't like that. We typically say, get off my back, you know. Why are you always pointing the finger? But listen, my wife is in my life showing me that, Trent, that was embarrassing today. I cannot believe you did that. You know, it's like, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, you do that all the time. Oh, I do? Oh, I don't want to be like that. You know, had she not been there to point that out, I would think that I'm the awesomest dude in the world, right? We would all think that. But this person in our life is there to show us that we're not perfect. What we do is we fight against that and there's tension and we blame each other and back and forth. But if we'll view this in a way that, oh, okay, this woman is helping me become more sanctified, <laughs> more like Christ. And so we work through the issues. The same is true for your church relationships. God puts you here to work on yourself. Now you can run from the problem, you can run from the issue but you're going to find that that next church is uh, filled with problems as well. You're going to run to that next marriage and realize that that relationship is going to have its problems as well because there are no perfect churches, just like there are no perfect marriages. God is calling you to work on yourself. He's calling us to work and fight for unity as a family. Secondly, unity is important because we're commanded to pursue unity. This isn't just a good idea. This is just a helpful notion. God says you are commanded to pursue unity, look at Ephesians 4.3. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to fight for unity. Make every effort to keep unity through the Spirit. Make every effort to fight for peace. In Romans 14.19, it says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Edification, to build each other up. We live in a world that loves to tear people down. We see it in politics. We see it in, in, in the sporting world. You see it in your business. You know, we see it everywhere. It's popular to tear other people down. There are TV shows dedicated to tearing people down, and we watch them. And as we watch them and experience that, that can become our habit as well. Like, we can find everything wrong with everybody. That is not a spiritual gift, by the way. That's a miserable person to live with, right? So the spirit, the, 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 the purpose here that God calls us to is to fight for unity, to pursue unity. That means that any attitude that causes disunity is sin. 
Any word that causes disunity is sin. Any action, any attitude, any, 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 any gossip that you would share causes disunity, that's sin. Number three, unity is important because unity allows the gospel to advance. Allows the gospel to advance. So again, the world will be one when the church is one. Verse 23, he's done this. The purpose of praying for this unity so that the world would know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So that's the whole mission, that the world would know that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son. That's the mission. That's why he calls us to unity. When a church loves each other, there is unity. There is harmony. And the gospel is advanced. And, and, and so when you are a guest and you come to a church like this, man, and you experience in the hallways, people are happy to be here. People are excited to be here. People expect God to move in our services. People expect the worship to be in, engaging. And, and folks, we can't take that for granted, but there's just that energy here. It happened a few moments ago as we're singing to King Jesus. You know, we're, we're praising his name and we're, we're in one voice. We're lifting up our hearts to him. This is the, the harmony and part of the unity that draws people into fellowship. Like when the world experiences this, God sends, God, God sends more and more people. Why? Because they want to see that. They want to experience that in their own life. But the opposite is true. When there's disunity in the church, it sends people away. Here's what Thomas Manton said back in the 1600s. He was a Puritan pastor. He said this, division in the church breed atheism in the world. Division in the church breeds atheism in the world. And that's a powerful statement. And it's so true. You know friends. You've experienced this conversation. Your friends heard about a, you know, something that happened in the church. Somebody sinned. A split happened. Somebody's feelings were hurt. They hear about it. They saw it. They witnessed it. And now they are turned off by the church. They're turned off by God. They don't want anything to do with it. Some of you are here today and you say, that's me, man. I experienced that. That's why unity is so important. We as a church, we as a family have to fight for this unity together. The fourth reason why unity is so important is because God blesses a unified church. God blesses a unified church. In Acts 2, 46 and 47, it kind of, kind of a summary here. He says they had all things in common. They were all of one heart. They were all of one accord. You know, this unity you know, theme is all throughout that chapter. And he closes by saying, and so the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The result of their oneness, the result of their oneness in purpose and in vision and in mission allowed God to grow their church, to send new believers to them. You see, I think God looks at, you know, the community and he looks at the churches and he says, what is the warmest environment to send baby Christians or young Christians to? And I, I believe he found that here at Fiddles Church. The, the, the warmth environment that we have, whether it be through our student ministries, our children's ministries, through our ministries throughout the week and what's happening on Sunday mornings, all point to an environment that is warm for young believers to figure out their faith to ask tough questions, to be able to you know, look a certain way and act a certain way and not feel judged, but, but realize that, that, hey, we do gather around the principles and the truth of God's word, and it's gonna sting some days. And it, the whole purpose of seeing and experiencing the truth of God is not to upset you, it's to draw you to a joy-filled life because it's only through Jesus we experience that life. I feel, I feel like that's why God has sent so many young Christians
so many young believers to our church, and he blesses a church that is unified. Now you think about snow. We had some snow a couple of weeks ago. One little snowflake, if you were to catch it, it melts pretty quick. It's pretty insignificant. But if you get a whole bunch of snowflakes together, they become powerful enough to cancel school, right? (laughs) And it doesn't even have to be a ton around here. And if you get enough gathered together, they can stop traffic, right? The same is true with believers. I'm pretty insignificant on my own. But together, as a community of believers, we can impact the world in a powerful, powerful way. So to fight for unity, I have some responsibilities as your pastor. You have some responsibilities as a partner. I'm going to share what leaders and elders are supposed to do very quickly today. Because the reality is, There is a very real enemy. Jesus here prays that we would be protected from this enemy. Ephesians 6 talks about spiritual warfare. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything in your life. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your relationships. He wants to take away your joy, right? But because of Jesus Christ in our life, he has no power over us. And so we can accomplish what God has called us to do. And and, and when we look at how the enemy can divide the church, what better way and through a divisive person who seeks to criticize and gossip, divide the church, and, and when the church begins to divide and pick sides, then what do the leadership and, and the elders have to do? They've got to deal with that issue, and as we deal with that issue, what does that keep us from doing? The mission. So if the enemy can distract us on inward fighting and inward battles, he can win. He, he doesn't have to, you know, he, he doesn't have to destroy anything else. All he has to do is, is cause some division. We become inward focused and we lose sight of the mission. So here's what a pastor is called to do. Pastors are to, first and foremost, to avoid situations that cause arguments. So 1 Timothy 2, 23 and 24 says, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. So part of my role as an elder, part of our staff's role as pastors is to avoid stupid and foolish arguments. Now that's difficult to do, but I like the sound of that because I hate arguing over dumb things, you know? Remember when you were first married and you were arguing over, did you leave the toothpaste off the tube? Why did you do that? Why did you leave it there? You're supposed to put it here. And did you put the toilet paper under again? You know the toilet paper is supposed to go over don't make it under. You remember those dumb arguments? I, was I the only one that argued over that stuff? I hated that stuff. I'm glad we've matured through that. And so part of my role as a, as a, as a pastor is to avoid dumb arguments and, and, and quarrels, right? The second thing that we're called to do as pastors, we're called to challenge troublemakers and dividers in the church. We're called to challenge them to repent. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. It says, those who oppose him, those who oppose the pastor, he must gently instruct them and the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. Strong words there. But those who would cause disunity and oppose the leadership, I am called as pastor, elders are called as pastors to confront and challenge those who would seek the vision in the church um, to repent. 
And so that's part of our role. We, we, we challenge that. We instruct in a loving way that you are in sin, you must turn from this sin. Thirdly, pastors are to teach how these negative words can actually hurt other people. We teach this to our kids, you know, don't say hurtful things. You can't, you can't say something hurtful about somebody. That's not what God calls us to do. As adults, we forget this very simple truth. And so I'm instructed as an elder in 2 Timothy 2.14, it says, keep reminding them of these things. In other words, don't just say it once, continue to remind the church. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. <laughs> don't quarrel, he says. Stop fighting about that. Stop firing over the he said, she said stuff. Realize that your negativity and your criticisms hurt. And anytime we are critical and we are negative, we allow dissension and division to take place in God's church. And he says, don't act that way. Don't allow that to take place. He says it only ruins those who listen. Who listens to that kind of junk? unbelievers or young Christians listen to that junk. I don't listen to it. Some of you don't listen to it. But it ruins the people that listen to it. So who gets hurt when a church is divided? The mature Christians are fine. I mean, they're in God's word on their own. They know how to handle themselves emotionally and spiritually. They can work their way through this because they, can, they, they have the spirit guiding their hearts through that. But young believers, and, and even when there are unbelievers in the church, they don't know how to navigate through that conflict. And so they're the ones that get hurt because they're the ones that listen to that junk. And so as a believer, we've got to re be reminded by our pastors that that truly is hurtful and divisive. Number four, pastors are called to remove those from the church if they ignore the warnings. So two warnings the Bible tells us to give. Titus 3.10 says, warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time after that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful and he's self-condemned. Again, very strong words for someone who would divide the church. But as a pastor, I'm called to confront, give them a second chance. If they don't repent after that, have nothing to do with them. This is consistent with what Paul teaches to uh, those in the church of Corinth. This is consistent with Matthew 18 and what Jesus teaches about conflict. We confront one-on-one, -on -one. we confront you know, with a group. And then we dismiss from the church. We have nothing to do with them. Now some people say, well, that doesn't sound very Christ-like, that we would dismiss somebody just because they made a mistake. Well, if you want to be an enabler to a crackhead, you don't continue to give him money, do you? If you do, you're just continuing to ruin his life. You're enabling him to ruin his life. If you enable somebody to continue to be a divisive person, you are, in essence, handing them the keys to the car. You are giving, them, you are giving money to a drug uh, uh, abuser. Because you're, uh, you're, you're essentially affirming that, hey, I know that you had some divisive issues, but I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to deal with it. And I'm just going to let you continue to think that you're fine. No, the Bible says have nothing to do with that person don't enable them to continue to sin. Show them that what they are doing is in fact harmful and hurtful to God's church. You hurt God's church, you disrupt unity, you are hurting God's family. It's very serious. So let me close with this. How do we fight for unity? How do we as a church together unify and, 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 and together fight for this unity that God calls us to together? Number one, if you're taking notes, Focus on our commonness, our common purpose together. 
That's what we've got. We've got to focus on our common purpose together. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree with one another and what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. We're called to rally around our common purpose. This is what the early church did. This is what we're called to do. You're not going to agree with everything the person in, that, in, in, in your road today uh, thinks or believes. You're, you're not going to agree with everything I think or, or, or do. But at the end of the day, we may not see eye to eye, but we can stand shoulder to shoulder in oneness, in unity, fighting for this community to hear about Jesus, to repent and turn of their sin, and to experience the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. That is our purpose. Secondly, to fight for unity, we've got to control our tongue. Control your tongue. Now, this is probably the hardest thing that James talks about taming the tongue and how it's a restless evil and how it can set ablaze a fire. And, and, and it's very hard to manage, but, but we're called to control our language, to control our tongue. And that means to refuse to gossip. Gossip is getting some of us in trouble and we don't even realize it. Gossip destroys God's church. It destroys relationships. And we're called to repent of that sin and to live a different lifestyle, to be sanctified, to be set apart for God's mission. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs. Man, isn't that great? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now that's challenging, isn't it? We would like it to say, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth unless they say something unwholesome about you. Oh, now I'm allowed because you said it, now I can say it. That's how we act when we're nine and 10 years old. That's not how a mature follower of Christ acts. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That, that would mean gossip. Don't gossip. Man, we live in a critical culture. We live in a critical nation in some regards. And so the Monday morning quarterback, if he should have done that and she should have done that and should have done it this way, it's very easy to do that, right? He calls us to a life of, of not gossiping about our brother and our sister. You see, gossip is anytime you share a problem or a criticism with somebody who is not a part of the problem or is not a part of the solution. So if I've got a problem with this guy and I go to this guy over here and, and I share with him all the problems about this situation, and he's not a part of the problem, and he's not part of the solution, that's called gossip. And that's sin, and we have to repent of that sin. What I should do is go talk to this guy and say, this hurt me, this offended me, this is how it made me feel. I love you, man, let's work through this. And then we allow the fruits of the Spirit to be demonstrated in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Um, gossip kills more churches than I think than anything else, you know? Um, gossip is, 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 is not only what I say to people, but it's what I share with people via social media. I'm blown away by what people share on social media. They'll tweet out an article that so, you know, Joe Schmo wrote about somebody else, whether it's a famous person or not. Like, you know anything about that situation? And just because it's printed on the internet doesn't mean it's true. I feel like that's weird that I even have to say that. But it's like, oh, there's an article on whatever blog, and so I'm going to share it with the world. Can you believe what this guy did? Blah, 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 blah. Really? We're just going to condemn this guy 
because of what this idiot said. You don't know the situation. You don't know what's going on. You're not a part of that situation and you're not a part of the solution. So any words that you would share about it is gossip. I experienced this in, uh, the other day. I was uh, at home. It was a Saturday night. On Saturday nights, I'm typically in my office and studying the sermon that I'm going to preach on Sunday morning. And, and so I was there. It was about 10.30. Kids had gone to bed. Wife had gone to bed and um, uh, let the dogs out to do their business. And so it's nice and quiet. And I go sit down and I'm, I'm praying and I'm studying over my deal. And, and all of a sudden, the, the, there's a couple of windows in the office and it, it's right next to our neighbors. So we're pretty close to them. And, and they, they come outside. And again, it's like 10.30, 10.45, and, and they come outside, and they're hooping and hollering. I can't hear what they're saying, but they're making all kinds of racket, and I'm thinking in my mind, you've got to be kidding me. It's 10.30 at night. Who are these yahoos out here disrespecting the neighborhood, and I've got to study, and these are crazy people, and, and they just were hooping and doing their deal and running around. And I was like, who, are, who do they think they are? You know, I'm getting myself all worked up, and criticizing and critical about what they're doing. And I just cannot believe these people would have a, a, a total lack of respect for their neighbors that they would do this. And then all of a sudden my doorbell rang. And I thought, oh no, my kids are in bed. You know, my wife's asleep and you're ringing my doorbell? Are you, cra- are you smoking crack? What are you doing this late at night? So I'm all huffing and puffing and mad and I open the door and swing it open and there's my neighbor and he's standing there with my dog in his hand. And he said, hey man, sorry, but your dog must have escaped from your backyard fence and we've been trying to catch him for the last 45 minutes. And I went, God bless you guys. You know what? I knew you were special people and, and you know... God blessed me with great neighbors. Thank you so much. And, 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 and so I dragged the dog in and beat him and throw him away. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I don't. I love Brutus. But, but uh, I just thought, man, you know, I went back to my office and I just had to repent. Because I, here I was being judgmental and critical and negative about my neighbors. And I didn't know the situation. I didn't know all the details. I didn't know that, in fact, they were trying to help me. And, and, and I think, how often do we do that in our life when we don't know the situation and what's going on around us, but we very, you know, we're very quick to judge and to criticize and to jump in with our opinion, you know, and, 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 and as we do that, we are causing division. And I think that the scripture would call us to a different lifestyle. The scripture calls us to control our tongue, to focus on our common purpose, And then thirdly and finally, the scripture calls us to support the pastors. Support the pastors. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. You know, part of how God operates in his church is that he decides who the leaders are going to be. It's God that has brought me to this church and it's by God's grace that I'm allowed to be here as the leader. The pastors that God has brought alongside this this church are are, are God-given, God-appointed. And so, so you are called as a partner of Foothills Church to submit to that authority. Now the great thing about the United States of America is that if you have a problem with that, we have several exits located all throughout this building and there are thousands of churches for you to attend. And we encourage you to go to a church that you can submit 
to the leadership of that church. But for those of us that are here, we have to realize that that is a part of, a, of, of the calling of a member of a local church. Now the other side of that coin is that as the leader, I have to give an account to the fact and to the manner in which I lead this church. And that scares me to death. Because I will be held accountable. The pastors of this church will be held accountable to God for the manner in which we lead. And so that's why my prayer almost every single day is God, give me wisdom. I'm an idiot. I can't do this without you. And as I submit to him, and as the church submits to the leadership, and we submit ourselves to the mission that Jesus has given us to go and make disciples, just imagine how much good we could do in this world. Just imagine how much good we could do in this city. Think of all the lives that could be transformed as a result of our efforts to fight for unity together. And I just think, man, God has so much for this church. He has so much for us to do. We are just scratching the surface. We are just on our way to doing something huge for the kingdom of God. And I hope that you will fight for this unity. And I hope that you will run with us. Can I ask you to bow your heads as we pray this morning and conclude our time together? I know that some of you might be challenged by this this unity discussion. Some of you are involved in gossip at work. You're involved in gossip at church. And and you haven't really taken the time to really think about how destructive that is. How it's ruining your relationships and how it's dividing God's church and Man, I would challenge you today to repent of your sin, to turn to Jesus Christ and beg him for mercy today, that you would not get in the way of what God wants to do here. I would pray that for myself and I would pray that for our entire staff, that we would be able to focus upon God's mission. We would be able to focus our heart upon a posture of unity, to to pursue unity, to support leadership, to focus on our common purpose, to control our tongues and all in an effort to show the world that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is the only hope that we have for eternal life. Heavenly Father, as we bow before you today, as we are challenged by your word, we're also inspired and encouraged because we know that if we'll get these things right, we are an army, we are a launching pad into the dark places of this world, taking the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, transforming lives, changing marriages, allowing young people to hear the gospel. And God, we want that. We wanna be about that, that, that journey, that mission. Let us not get distracted or sidetracked from what you're calling us to do as a church. We are here for your glory, not our glory. May it be so, and may we serve you faithfully today. In Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.